0: Hey there, welcome to another edition of Live Wire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we are talking about defying expectations with Cecily Strong from Saturday Night Live. She's got a memoir out that touches on some pretty serious stuff, grief, relationships, COVID, which might come as a surprise considering she's also created some of the funniest, most memorable characters on SNL over the past nine seasons, including a personal favorite of mine, the girl you don't want to get stuck talking to at a party. Plus, we're going to talk to Toronto rapper Shad about what it's like to be known as the nice guy of hip-hop. Does he like that, or is that kind of annoying? Uh, We're going to hear a song from Shad and find out how nervous he was to meet some of the biggest hip-hop legends ever for his Netflix TV show. So, that is the plan this week. It's going to be a fun episode. Don't go anywhere. It all gets started right after this. Hey, Elena.
3: Hey, Luke. How's it
0: going? It's going very well. Summer is finally here in Portland. It is just absolutely lovely, and I'm loving it. How are you?
3: I'm good. Uh, I'm waving at you from down south uh, in my little Oregon town where all the same things are happening.
0: (laughs) Good. Good. I'm glad to hear it's working across the state. Uh, Are you ready to play a little station location identification examination? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Is that your Macho Man Savage? Yeah. (laughs) dig it. This is where I tell Elena about a place in the country where Livewire is on the radio, and uh, she's got to guess where I am talking about. Okay. The surrounding valley, so the valley that surrounds this place, produces 77% of all the hops grown in the U.S. Somewhere in Washington State? Yes, it is in Washington Mm -hmm. State. I'm wondering if this follow-up clue might help you. Because you know, I think, a little bit about both of these people. It's the birthplace of the actor Kyle McLaughlin oh. and the writer Raymond Carver.
3: Oh, no. Oh, people are going to come for me. It's somewhere in the <laughs> middle.
0: It is. I don't know. What is starts it? starts <laughs> with a Y, ends with an Akama. Yakima! Yakima, Washington, where we're on the radio on KYVT. Who knew it was the home of both Kyle McLaughlin and Raymond Carver? That's pretty cool. I can't believe it's not Yaddle. I, <laughs> I mean, that was also, we would have accepted Yeattle. All right, shout out to everybody listening in Yakima on KYVT. Uh, should we get on with the show? Let's do it. All right, take it away.
3: From PRX, it's Livewire. This week,
4: comedian, actress, and writer Cecily Strong. It is insane how emotional sketch comedy can be. So I like to go to the newer people and just make sure I'm checking in and being like, it's okay that you're crying about your banana sketch being cut. And music from rapper Shad. Some people's style is to
2: be the baddest guy in the room. And if you do that well, then you win. But also, if you charm the hell out of everybody, you also win.
3: I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello.
0: And now, the host of LiveWire, Lou. Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks to everyone tuning in from all across the country, including in beautiful Yakima, Washington. We have a fun show in store for you this week. Uh, Of course, we asked the listeners a question going into the show. We asked them, what's something that people would be surprised to learn about you? We have a couple of multi-talented, multi-dimensional guests this week. Uh, We're going to hear those answers from the listeners coming up in just a few minutes. First, though, it's time for... The best news we heard all week. This, of course, is our little reminder at the top of the show that, yes, there is still some good news happening somewhere in the country or the world. Sometimes we got to look kind of hard for it, but we found a couple of stories this week. Elena, what is the best news you heard this week?
3: Talk about looking hard for a good news story. Yeah, right. This is a good news story involving air travel.
0: Oh, boy. (laughs)
3: As you know, this has been a really taxing summer for air travel. But this is actually a pretty great travel story. Good things are still happening in airports. So there's a young traveler named Lena Larman, six years old, and she was recently traveling back from Norway to Greenville, South Carolina. I know that airport very, very well. It's one of my favorites. With her mom, she got hung up for 36 hours in New York. Came home 2 a.m. arrival. You know, she's been sleeping. She's a little girl. Mm-hmm. And then she realized oh, she lost a tooth on the plane. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm assuming that it's, you know, when you were little and you'd start to wiggle it and mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, it's coming soon. It's coming soon. But they got in so late when she realized that she had lost a tooth in her sleep on the plane. She really wanted to go back and get it because
0: mm-hmm. you got to have There's that some tooth. decent money in that racket. That's
3: right, the Tooth Fairy needs that proof. But since it was 2 a.m., security was closed, and she had a fit. She had a a very understandable, full-on Tooth Fairy meltdown. But uh, an airline pilot who was walking, I'm assuming, to wherever he was going to lay his head for the night, named Captain Josh Ducow, saw young Lena having a meltdown and realized that he could help. He wrote... On the spot, you know, he's in his uniform. He's uh-huh. looking super commanding. And you know, fairies fly in the air, pilots fly in the air. They must know each other somehow. Sure. So he pens a letter that says, "Dear Tooth Fairy, Lena had a tooth fall out on her flight to Greenville. Please take this note in place of her tooth." captain josh there's a comma splice in there but we'll uh we'll let it <laughs> <laughs> we'll let it ride for Captain it was, Josh. <laughs> everybody was exhausted there was a was missing a. tooth <laughs> and a missing semicolon right. but I'm uh, <laughs> just kidding sorry you can't take the english teacher out of the best news story anyway um so lena feels much better mm-hmm. she takes the note from captain josh home and puts it under her pillow luke burbank She got six bucks from the tooth
0: fairy. (laughs) Inflation is real.
3: Yeah, and also, you know, the
0: hope and good nature of two very weary travelers was restored. (laughs) My story that I saw that's the best news also kind of involves travel, like sort of in a way. And this actually happened a couple of weeks ago, but I just found out about when I was visiting Port Townsend, Washington, which is one of my very favorite places in the world. I used to live there. Uh, There was a boat there called the Western Flyer that had been on the hard, as they say. It had been being repaired and restored for over nine years to the tune of a couple of million dollars. Some people call it the world's most famous fishing boat. It had been a fishing boat built in Tacoma, Washington in the 1930s, but it became famous because John Steinbeck (gasps) took a trip on it in the Sea of Cortez, and he wrote a book. He actually wrote two books, one called Sea of Cortez, and then also a book called The Log from the Cortez in Whoa. 1951. A lot of people read about it, were quite captivated with this boat. Well, this boat went on to be a salmon tender in Alaska, and like happens a lot with these vessels, the name got changed, they changed it to Gemini. Mm-hmm. This appears to be when the bad luck really set in for the Western Flyer. It sunk three times while mm. it was the Gemini. I'd figure, you know, you sink a boat once and you get it back going, okay. You sink it twice, I'd just say give up on it. But Sink me twice, shame on me. Exactly. <laughs> So this thing ends up sinking for a third time, and they bring it back up, and it's just, like, covered in barnacles, and it's, like, totally destroyed pretty much. They tow it into Port Townsend, and I think in, like, 2013, and the community comes together to fix up the Western Flyer. And they put all this money and time and donations and sweat equity into it. And just a couple of weeks ago, it was finally finished, and they're going to put it back in the water. But this is the funny thing. There's a lot of, you know, superstition around all things maritime. Time. And mm-hmm. they didn't want the boat to be called the Gemini anymore, because that was like not great luck for this book. <laughs> so they wanted to change it back to the Western Flyer. But you've got to do a whole thing before huh. the boat touches the water, because if you put it back in the water, then it belongs to Neptune. That's what they were saying. <laughs> in Port Townsend. The whole town turned out, somebody pretended to be Poseidon, somebody who was like the (laughs) great long relative of someone who had been instrumental in this boat being built in the first place. And he says, I well remember the day the Western Flyer first touched my waters at Western Boat Building Company. She was a sound yar vessel. She was yar. (laughs) Which I just think is like the coolest way to describe anything, a sound yar vessel. And so then... Uh, The person playing Poseidon asks the whole town, what should we christen this ship? And the whole town yells, Western Flyer together. The only hitch in this entire process was at one point, a Great Dane walked out from the crowd. I'm reading from the Port Townsend leader, by the way, Lena. A Great Dane walked out from the crowd, wandered up to the boat launch, and started drinking from an open plastic container that was holding the holy water that they were christening the boat with.
3: Well, da- the Danish were Vikings, right? So
0: Yeah, that, it that all fits. makes sense. Also, <laughs> that dog is now mayor of Port Townsend. That's what happens if you <laughs> drink the holy water. So the cool thing is the Western Flyer is now going to be a state-of-the-art research vessel for students and young people. So it wow. goes from being this thing Steinbeck wrote about to a working ship to now something that's going to continue to captivate the minds of, of young people, which is such a cool thing. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh, best news I heard is that that YAR vessel is on its way to Seattle to um, have its new motors put in. So that's the best (laughs) news that I heard this week. All right, let's get our first guest on over to the show. Cecily Strong has been a Saturday Night Live cast member since 2012. She's known for her impressions and also original characters. Um, I have a personal favorite, which is the girl you don't want to get stuck talking to at a party, which she does on Weekend Update. Uh, she also co-hosts a Weekend Update for a while. And she stars in Schmigadoon from Apple TV+. <laughs> A show name that I cannot say without Elena erupting into peals of laughter. It's the best name ever. Schmigadoon is a show about a couple that gets stuck in a town that operates basically like a musical. That's not like where you want to live, Elena. Mm -hmm. It would be your happy place. As -hmm. if all that weren't enough, she's also released a memoir. It's called This Will All Be Over Soon. We talked to Cecily during August of last year. Let's take a listen to that. Cecily Strong, welcome to LiveWire. Thank you for having me. Uh, we are huge fans of your your work on TV, and uh, this memoir is is a really fascinating uh, and really personal read. Other than you, the main character in in this book is is your cousin Owen Strong, um, who passed away from brain cancer when he was uh, thirty. Did you have thoughts about writing a book before uh, you went through that experience with him?
4: No, I mean it. it- it's something that came up in talks with agents and certainly like, okay, well, this is a thing I may do someday. And and I assumed I would be doing, you know, funny essays Mm -hmm. or something. Um, So I was not thinking I would write anything like I have written. And I certainly didn't expect to write about Owen that I'd lost him because even with brain cancer, I was um, convinced he'd beat it just because of who he was. And, how positive and brave. And it just seemed like if anyone could do this, it, it would be
0: him. Um, you had told your agent, I think uh, you write in the book as the pandemic was beginning, that you were like yeah. hoping to write something. What was it like for you though to write like a memoir like this versus a, like an SNL sketch?
4: For me, you know, all writing is kind of the same. Not that it comes out the same, but that I'm it still feels like it's coming from a similar place. And I You know, I usually want to write on Tuesday because I've trained myself to do that on the show. (laughs) Oh, really? So it's so and it's usually like it's by that Tuesday. I'm kind of like, okay, I should write or something. And I just started dating somebody. And, you know, we got to that point where it's like, you know, what, I really like you. Let's say that we're dating. Let's be dating. And then, um, you know, four days later, he got covid and we didn't even know he had covid because it was so early on. He wasn't even allowed to get a test. Um, But I had been, I just started talking with my cousin's oncologist at Duke, um, Dr. Henry Friedman. So I met Henry and then it was like the next day was Jack got COVID and I'm asking Henry, what do we do? Because we just knew so little. And so I quarantined for two weeks. Then I'm worried, do I have it? And I have this, you know, funky little, thermometer because you couldn't get thermometers at the time either. And I'm like, I have anxiety and depression. I can't trust what I'm feeling and I'm having to trust this little instrument. (laughs) But it was like sometimes it would show me I'm 105 degrees or I'm 93 degrees. And so I was like, well I'm so I'm dead either way. But I then finally I I got out. um, I booked an Airbnb and that was really right away I started writing everything just started pouring into my head, there was space again. There was a little bit more space for it. And not just like oh, the panic of like, is is he going to die? Am I going to die? Just really afraid of everything during those two weeks.
0: You do write in this book that you're a pretty anxious person. And I wonder if people sometimes have a hard time Um, squaring that with your job as a person who like goes on TV and pretends to be Judge Jeannie Pirro and is like very funny and seemingly kind of not anxious?
4: You know, I think that's definitely true. People assume we have a lot more confidence and I can say we because I know the people I work with too and really, you know, if we were kind of like very cool, collected people, we probably wouldn't be as funny as we are. Hmm.
0: You know, (laughs) This is LiveWire from PRX. We are listening back to a conversation we had with the comedian and writer Cecily Strong from Saturday Night Live. Uh, We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we will be right back. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back.
3: Oh, congratulations. But
0: also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of LiveWire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at LiveWire, Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of probably a 501c3 they don't let me near any of the paperwork Mm -mm. or bookkeeping and it's really better that way point is we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members and we would love it if you could join us in that right now plus there are all kinds of sweet perks including uh special discounted tickets to live recordings on-air shout outs exclusive content Uh, And, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this.
3: If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote
0: bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're Mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels it does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you.
1: Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. z pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night. Drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. ZBiotics is backed with 100% money-back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to ZBiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times.
0: Welcome back to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. We are listening to a conversation we had with the comedian and Saturday Night Live cast member Cecily Strong, recorded last August, talking about her memoir, This Will All Be Over Soon. Let's get back to that conversation. I'm curious about what it was like for you uh, as you were up in the Hudson Valley of New York with a couple of your friends. You're staying in this Airbnb and you you don't have the the daily ritual of or the weekly ritual of creating SNL and your cousin has passed away, which you're still trying to process, and your boyfriend has COVID and is not calling you back. Mm-hmm. How were you able to actually like you said you write on Tuesdays just out of habit, but like how are you able to actually write this book? Were you just keeping a diary and thinking maybe this will be the book?
4: Yes. I certainly I didn't even know it was a book. I I just knew I would write. And my agents sort of were like, it doesn't have to be a book, but, but I think you should keep writing. I think it'll (laughs) be helpful.
0: That sounds very much like a thing an agent would say.
4: (laughs) Yes. But I say that, I mean, I, I really, I am friends with my agents as well. Uh, They were my friends before being my agents and I trust them a lot. And so, and it was, it was a great exercise for me. Um, A lot of days would, you know, I would write during the day and then, I, we'd make dinner we had a, like a family dinner that we would do and Kevin would read what I'd written. So I, I didn't mm. even read any of it out loud until recording the audiobook I think mm. But because it was such an isolating time, it sort of felt like I was writing to somebody and so I did I felt less alone either I'm talking to Owen or I'm talking to Jack who's not there or I'm talking to some nameless faceless person intimate friend. And so that's, it was a way to communicate and not feel as isolated.
3: It feels like it wants to be really immediate as well, this Mm -hmm. book, the way it's shaped and the structure, it seems like, you know, there's this other version of it that could be really novelistic and have all the symbolism in it. From the get-go, were you always interested in keeping that sort of connection to the period right before it came out?
4: Yes, it was sort of going back and forth. Like, do I want to involve COVID this much? And then it was sort of like, well, yeah, I I have to because COVID is involved in my life and all of our lives. There's no way to ignore it at that point. And so that's why we wrote about it. And I think... um I don't know that I could write that the other novel that you're talking yeah. about, you know, with I don't know that I'm I'm a good enough writer for that, but I know I can be very honest and honesty, I think, is where that immediacy is coming from, too. Uh,
0: this is Live Wire. We're talking to Cecily Strong from Saturday Night Live and Schmigadoon <laughs> and also uh, the new <laughs> memoir. It will always memoir. make
4: me laugh when people say <laughs> Can, can it I just works. say, <laughs> can I just
0: tell you, we chatted with Barry Sonnenfeld. A while ago, uh, who was director of Schmigadoon. Yes. And when we said the word Schmigadoon, Elena laughed for five solid minutes. <laughs> the show okay. wasn't even on television, <laughs> no! just the name.
3: I'm with you, Elena. I do the same. <laughs> and then I, I watched every episode. I'm, I am your target market for both the title and the show. It's great. Yes. It's great, great, great.
0: Me too. I am. I'm also the target yeah. market. <laughs> Uh, You write in this new memoir about what it was like trying to make Saturday Night Live from an Airbnb in the Hudson Valley of New York. And like your your friend who you're quarantining with is like now the prop director for this. (laughs) It's like an insane thing trying to make television that way. Like, what was that like for you?
4: it was absolutely crazy i mean and especially as someone who knows is so bad with technology and so you know I, we're getting all these weird apps and they're ha- they're looking in our phones so they can see what we're filming uh-huh. and, and even, they sent us i would just get sent costume pieces from amazon and talk to ward tom at wardrobe like well here's how we're going to make this janine dress i think we should add these bows here And so I was making those. And then Kevin was I'm a horrible artist, too. So Kevin would do all of the props. He made me a big box of wine, I think, for Janine. And then and then we had this they sent us this big green screen. And then they and so we had to hang it. And I remember coming into the room at one point and like Kevin is ironing the green screen. Wow. It's just crazy. Yeah. But it gave us something to do. And, you know, there's a lot of weird, frantic energy. So that was a Mm -hmm. good place to focus it.
0: Uh, When you talk to somebody who's on Saturday Night Live, you sort of have to ask this obligatory question about their audition process. And you write about this in your book. I think you may have come up with the greatest audition characters like in the history of (laughs) SNL auditions. Uh, A New York cruise ship passenger trying to bring a fresh pineapple back onto (laughs) the ship with her. Husband and demanding <laughs> to speak to someone in charge when they won't let her. Uh, a chubby little boy thanking his waitress at a diner after a Saturday family meal. And a Midwestern party aunt bragging about wearing her niece's size.
4: <laughs> They're all people I have seen <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and enjoyed in real life.
0: And was that, I mean, something that was just, you were just carrying her. And obviously you had done improv in Chicago. So you had been developing these characters. But I mean, is that sort of how it works? Uh, when you're in your line of work, like you see somebody doing something and you just your some part of your brain goes, that's going to be universal for people for some weird reason. <laughs> and that's a character.
4: Early on, I didn't do any impressions. I didn't think of myself as an impressionist. Once someone tells you have to do three characters and three impressions. So that's what I went like. OK, well. <laughs> the, what do I find funny? And that's how those came up. Mm-hmm. But I think um, now, I yes, I am more trained to see things that go, well, that's a character or an impression or something. My brain is more that way. But early on, it was just really throwing spaghetti at the wall.
0: Huh. I mean, you also did a character from Elimidate when, which I was a huge fan of, by the way. I'm glad loved I wasn't if you oh,
4: You are truly, I think you're the first person I've met who even knows what it is and is a fan.
0: Somehow, Thank you. You and I were keeping Elimidate going for <laughs> a period of a couple of years back there in the 90s. Yeah. You do an Elimidate uh, Milwaukee <laughs> Dude, uh, uh-huh. um, and and also your your actual dating life is sort of a topic in this in this new memoir. And a thing that you said that I thought was really interesting, which I bet you a lot of people can actually identify with, was you are pretty comfortable being single during the periods of your life when you're single, and your friends seem to be very worried about about your singleness. <laughs> but it's them worrying about your singleness that is the larger hassle than being single. Mm-hmm.
4: Right? Yes, everyone kind of it would start coming up where people would be like, can I introduce you to so?" And it would be like, why? What's happening? <laughs> Is it bumming you out to sit here and talk to me right now to come to my house and not see a partner? Does that bother you? But I think, you know, it's they want to be helpful. It's coming from a good place. Sure.
0: Um, you also, the Saturday Night Live family, you lost the uh, music director, um, Hal Wilner. Mm-hmm. And I know that was uh, very hard on you during the pandemic because you had a pretty close relationship with him.
4: Sure. And I will say, it's not even with Hal, it's not even that we were necessarily very close, but when you work with people, there is that closeness. It was, it's more that Hal was so eclectic and bizarre and such a character and like the first person that you'd see when you walk into SNL because he'll, he'll draw your eye. So he's got like a big hat on and a big beard. And, um, and he was so friendly right off the bat because we had other friends in common. Because the other thing about Hal Wilner is that he knew everybody and worked mm-hmm. with everybody. And I had been emailing with Hal about a show over the hiatus. And so it was also another thing. It be like, it's bizarre to be emailing with someone about COVID and then they pass from COVID. That's how fast and how much of like a, a snowball this yeah. thing is. And, you know, Hal, the night he died, I think 600 or so people died in New York. And it's like, that's such a huge number to even imagine that those are people and they're people that are as big and singular as Hal Mm Wilner, you know?
0: Right. We're talking to Cecily Strong. Her new memoir is This Will All Be Over Soon. Uh, She's also has been a cast member on Saturday Night Live, but I'm reading that that it's sort of TBD. Yes, it's still TBD. What does that mean?
4: You know, it's such a wonderful, supportive, hilarious environment and the people there are so great. So it's it's a hard place to leave. And I think the show is kind of changing to allow people to do other projects at once and to just be more flexible. So there's a lot of reasons to stay, too. Um, But I'm just not quite sure.
0: Uh huh. Uh, I feel like uh, when you talk to somebody who's been on Saturday Night Live, they describe it as being the most exciting uh, sort of uh, engaged, thrilling process that also almost kills them every week <laughs> and leaves them feeling emotionally hollow afterwards. Uh-huh. Like seems like a lot goes on. Like, what's yes, your experience yeah. in general? <laughs> <Yeah.
4: laughs> I think um, th- that's absolutely true. I can speak about it so glowingly because I've been away from it for a couple months. But yes, I mean, we don't get a lot of sleep and it is insane how emotional sketch comedy can be. And then it's you know it feels very isolating, too, because it's so you feel so embarrassed when you first get there to mm. be sad about a sketch being cut or to to be nervous. So I like to go to the newer people and just make sure I'm checking in and being like, hey, I know that. This really hurts. And it's okay that you're crying about your banana sketch being cut. It's like, I I get it. I was told Dana Carvey cried in his dressing room and I'm sure I'll be like, here's my snot stains from a really bad night I had about something I'm sure that I can't even remember. You know, it's just, we go through these wild swings.
0: This is why you have to stay on the show, A, you're hilarious and B, you need to be there to sort of, you know,
4: point out the snot stage, take take care
0: of the the next generations. Um, uh, Speaking of one of, I think the greatest characters in SNL history, at least a character who I quote constantly when I say, exactly, Seth, Um, (laughs) where did the, um, the, the girl you don't want to get stuck talking to at the party? Like, did you have that experience and then create that person for weekend update?
4: well, i sort of it started as I was making fun of myself. uh Colin and I were trying to write an update piece early on. We were going through characters, and I think I said something like, and you know, like that's really good for society and then um <laughs> we were kind of that's where it started and playing around with that and then i I remembered a lot of my straight male friends telling me some stories about, you know, they'd see someone who looked pretty and they would talk to. And then it was like, oh, my God, the things that are coming out of this person's mouth were so crazy. And so it was a mix of all of that. And then I think Colin and I just love uh, malapropisms, too. So Uh it's a way to play with that. You know, we wrote that in 2012, and it was sort of the start of Facebook really being the big one. And now social media has made everybody kind of into that person yeah. <laughs> who gives themselves a platform and, you know, just kind of plucks things out and doesn't really understand any of these issues, but uses them to shame other people or to yep. talk down uh-huh. to anyone around her. Doesn't right. really, it's sort of like talking into a void because she doesn't care about the other person she's talking right. to, she doesn't care about their response. She wants them to know she's smart. She knows it. Shame <laughs> them. Check her phone. Who cares that another right. person's there? It's just about her existence.
0: <laughs> right. I want to kind of wrap things up here, uh, sort of where we started talking about this memoir, which is really beautiful and really uh, very moving in the way that you talk about your cousin Owen and, um, I'm wondering what it's been like for you in doing the publicity for this book to talk about him so much. Um, uh, Has that been cathartic for you or has it been re-traumatizing?
4: No, um, it has been cathartic. And it's sort of sometimes I'll cry, but I think uh, I think that's okay, And uh, this is a time where we sometimes cry. And it's it's important to me that I get to share him. And it's a gift every time I get to. Talk
0: about him. Yeah. I was on I was on his band's website last night.
4: Oh really? Like, <laughs>
0: vibing out to his music. I was like, this this comes up a lot in the book. So let's see what's going on. It's really cool stuff. I mean, this is it was an amazingly talented person, obviously.
4: Yeah, it's it's so cool to me that people can find his music. And and I was talking with my uncle about it. And it's like what an amazing gift that Owen left us with these songs that we get to have this and share it. And like, thank God they're good. <laughs> That's I was you nervous. Imagine? I was
0: nervous <laughs> clicking on the link because I was like, this is obviously very important to Cecily. Right. Uh, um, let's see. And then it was actually good.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Makes it much easier to share. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Cecily Strong, great job on this memoir. It is titled This Will All Be Over Soon. Uh, Great job on Schmigadoon. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for coming on LiveWire.
4: Thanks for having me.
0: That was Cecily Strong right here on LiveWire, recorded back in August. Since we last spoke to Cecily, uh, she is still on Saturday Night Live, and Schmigadoon has been renewed for a second season. So, Lenny, you can continue to crack up at the name. (laughs) <laughs> uh, for at least one more seasons, you can catch it on apple tv plus and of course her book this will all be over soon is available now hey special thanks this episode to phyllis fletcher and miles ellenby miles is in portland oregon phyllis is up in seattle i know both of these people we just now have my personal friends supporting livewire which is great Phyllis and Miles are part of the LiveWire member community, and they are generously supporting the show with a donation each month. And we are really appreciative for that because it's actually how we're able to keep doing this. So a huge thanks to Phyllis and Miles for keeping LiveWire going. This is LiveWire. As we like to do each week, we asked our listeners a question. We were inspired by the versatility of both of our guests this week, and so we asked the LiveWire listeners, what's something that people would be surprised to learn about you? Elena has been collecting up those responses, and she's uh, going to tell us about them now. What do you see it?
3: You want versatility? Hmm. I will give you versatility. How about this from Peter? Peter says, I can ride a bicycle backwards and steer the handlebars with my butt. (laughs) Peter adds, I'm a
0: 68-year-old male. (laughs) Wow. See, that sounds like the kind of thing that I would have tried when I was 12, but I would absolutely not try at 46. (laughs) I mean, everything that me and my friends did related to bikes was just taking our life into our own hands. You know, yeah. building ramps and jumping off the high dive at Green Lake. Like, what? We just did all kinds of unsafe things. And by the way, not a helmet in sight. This was the 80s. So. <laughs> Do you
3: know what I did with my bike? I turned it upside down, stood over it, and pretended it was a printing press and did not write it.
0: <laughs> you have been a lifelong writer even, uh, even before you, you know, probably knew it. Uh, what's some other versatility on display from our listeners?
3: Well, uh, I don't know about versatility, but this is something that Lydia, people are surprised to hear about Lydia. Okay. Lydia says, I eat the same thing for lunch every day. I have for the last two years. It keeps me from staring into the fridge in the morning and stalling out, I guess, to pack in the morning when you're packing your lunch to get Mm -hmm. ready to go to work. I feel like I could use so much more of this kind of discipline in my life. I cannot do the same thing every day. I just can't. Wait a
0: second. Does Lydia say what the lunch in question is? No. That to me is the crit. Get back at us, Lydia. I want to know what that is. Apparently, it's really good for your caloric intake to have like the same breakfast and lunch. I mean, unless I'm going pizza for lunch, I think I'm going to get bored with anything else. That's the problem. I don't get bored with the food that's probably not great for me.
3: That's probably what Lydia is doing. She's having pizza for lunch every day.
0: Maybe that's why she's not letting on. All right. One more thing that is surprising about one of our listeners.
3: Oh, I love this one from Sally. Sally says... I used to hitchhike every day to work at my summer job making pizzas. <laughs> wow. <laughs> making pizzas, which
0: Lydia would then have for lunch. <laughs> Potentially. We don't want to assume, but I, that's what we're guessing. Wow. Um, that was a really different time. It must yeah, have been. Yeah, it must been. have been a while ago, right? Yeah. I mean, although I hitchhiked down the Mississippi River like five, six years ago. What? Yeah. It was a stunt for uh, a different radio (laughs) show that I worked on. But we were hitchhiking from Minnesota down to Mississippi. And it was really interesting to see who... Uh, the kind of folks that picked us up were. It was typically very working-class folks. It was a lot uh-huh. of people who had themselves hitchhiked. It was never a fancy car. We got picked mm. up in a zero Lexuses or Lexi. I don't know what the plural of that is. But people <laughs> would just come down on a stone-cold beater, pull over, and just be like, get in.
3: <laughs> yeah. You know what? I guess I, I hitchhiked last week, now that I think about it. When what? I was in Vermont... The, I was working at the top of the hill in Montpelier, Vermont, but I went and drank a bunch of margaritas at mm. the bottom of the hill, <laughs> and I was trying to walk up the hill and not get, like, the margarita bombs. and this green truck drove by that uh, knew that I was going to the top of the hill because it's a small town, and the driver was like, get in. And so I just hopped in the back of the truck and rode uphill for about 90 seconds.
0: <laughs> you know, I can't believe that you missed the chance to literally run up that hill.
3: Oh, I know. Kate
0: Bush <laughs> fan that you are. <laughs> After drinking margaritas. Yeah, totally. (laughs) All right. Thank you to everyone who sent in a response to our question this week. We've got a question for next week's show, which we're going to reveal at the end of this episode. So stick around for that. This is Live Wire. I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarello. The Guardian calls our next guest Canada's nicest MC. And Pitchfork called him the new standard bearer for positive rap. He's also the host of the Emmy award-winning Netflix series Hip Hop Evolution, which is super good. It won a Peabody Award. He knows radio, too. He was the former host of the CBC's arts and culture show Q. His name is Shad, and we talked to him back in August about his sixth album, which is out. It's called Tao. Let's take a listen to that conversation right now. Shad, welcome to Livewire. Thanks for having me. It's nice to see you, man, and uh, this new album is really good. I'm wondering when you first started writing uh, music, and who were you trying to sound like? Was there someone that you were you were emulating up there in Toronto?
2: So my heroes in high school were Common, um, Outkast, Lauryn Hill, Biggie, um, a number of artists, and the weird thing is that they actually... They inspired me to not rap, kind of. Like, they inspired me to rap, but also not to rap because they were so good and they Mm -hmm. had real things to say and they really had their own story. And so in high school, I was just freestyling for fun because anytime I tried putting anything to paper, it was just, you know, it was nothing compared to them. So it it was a little bit later, maybe around 2021, I started to feel like I had stories that were my own. That's when I got more serious about it. So yeah, to answer your question, that's who I was trying to emulate in the sense of... You know, having something to say, having my own my own stories of my own style, but that that obviously takes a bit of time.
0: So you kind of needed to to have some life experience under your belt before you felt like you really had like substantial stuff to write about.
2: Yes. I remember writing something in high school and and looking at it afterwards and I was just mortified and was like, <laughs> I'll just freestyle in the cafeteria until I have something to say.
0: <laughs> at least you had the presence of mind, you know, in the moment to sense you were still a little bit, a little bit green.
2: Also, thankfully, that was the era where you you couldn't record very easily, right?
0: (laughs) Right. Because if it was now, we would have like thousands of shad TikTok videos. Yeah.
2: There would be a million mixtapes, TikToks. I mean, yeah. Yeah. There'd be a lot to sort through.
0: Um, I was reading some articles about you in preparation for this, and I noted that of maybe like the five articles I read, I think exactly five of them referenced (laughs) you being known for being a nice guy and i in hip hop and i was wondering if that if that's a compliment still or if that's a little exhausting to keep hearing that kind of feedback
2: look i feel like it's true <laughs> i'm a kind person um my like kindergarten report card says shad's a nice kid it really like it actually does um i like to make people feel good it's uh i think that's a performer's instinct you know i think mm-hmm. that's an entertainer's instinct you like to see people feel better so they are definitely worse things to be called. It's actually true. And uh, yeah, so, you know, it's it's fine. It's fine by me.
0: And yet hip-hop, I mean, hip-hop is uh, such a wide range of different styles of music and messages, and I think it would obviously be really reductive to say it's just about being tough or whatever. But there yes. is an element of that where that's a, that's something that is associated with, with parts of hip-hop, and you're coming in saying, like, hey, I want to talk about us getting along. I want to talk about... Thinking about people who are experiencing, uh, you know, homelessness, stuff that you get into on your records.
2: Yeah, well, what I learned really early on, again, like I'm from the era where you couldn't just record. It's a lot of live performances, a lot of battles and stuff. And what I learned early on is that it's actually all about the audience and winning over the audience with whatever your style is. So some mm. people's style is to be the baddest guy in the room, and like that is dope. And if you do that well, then you win. But also if you charm the hell out of everybody, you also win. So, you know that's something I learned. It's that's also a rule of hip hop, you know. And and those are the early battle lessons that kind of like informed my approach. Um, so yeah, whatever you have to offer to engage people, you know, for mm-hmm. me it is talking about what's what's on my mind, what's on my heart. I love to put humor in my music and humor in my style, and also I like to share my perspective. When I feel like my perspective is a little bit different, you know? And I think people can tell that it's genuine and and so hopefully that's engaging. Like, yeah, I think I learned that early on. You gotta you play the hand that you're dealt.
0: Um, you've got this show on Netflix, Hip Hop Evolution, which uh it won a peabody. It is just a really fascinating show, but it's also so ambitious. It's mm-hmm. sort of like the the history of hip hop music and how so many things in hip hop sort of got created and the way that things play off of each other it seems daunting to sit down and go like we're going to try to document all of this cuz like such a big topic
2: yeah um so the way the show started was we actually thought we were only going to make one season so we thought it would be a document of the origins of hip hop you know while these pioneers are still around and in terms of scope that is much more manageable because if you're talking about the beginnings of hip hop there actually weren't that many people around you're talking about the Bronx in the mm-hmm. late, se- you know, the 70s. And that particular hip hop community, it's its actually quite small and something that has been documented super well in books and something that you could capture on film. So after that first season, we got the opportunity to do more. And then, yes, it gets super da- <laughs> super daunting. And <laughs> mm-hmm. our writers and producers, I think, did a very good job of, well, the show shifted, I think, at that point and became an overview, you know, not nothing comprehensive, but this is this is a general overview of of how this music has moved and grown as it's landed from New York into different places and mixed with those different local cultures and um, what some of those spots brought to hip hop that was that was different and unique and you know if we get a chance to continue the show it will get even more daunting because you get mm-hmm. into the internet era
0: right <laughs> we we'll just do like four episodes on Juice World oh yeah and just like just talking about these like these SoundCloud rappers that have had this like amazing rise and impact now on the on the sound of things.
2: Yeah, that's where I think the show would go. You know, ours is mapped out geographically. And I think what happened after the mid 2000s is that geography went to the Internet and new places on the Internet changed the music. So that is almost certainly where the show would go um, in the future.
0: Uh, You talked to some really heavy hitters on on this Netflix show, like, uh, you know, Killer Mike and KRS-One and Uh, Master P, among many others. Were you nervous? Like, you're this kid, you grew up in Toronto, you're rapping, you're listening to this music, you're making your own, and now you're talking to the people who are literally the founding members of IT.
2: Yeah, I was definitely nervous. Um, The good kind of nerves, you know, the proper respect kind of nerves for these artists and also for what we're trying to do with the show, which is just provide this useful document and hopefully do right by the culture there were a couple times though where um i was sort of surprised by what i felt in terms of nerves like q-tip uh-huh is one that jumped out at me because i was excited to interview q-tip nervous in the the good kind of nervous but when i was suddenly in front of him there i I, the thought occurred to me of of how much i owe this guy Hmm. Uh, you know my career, my style, like, this guy really opened the door for people to be different in hip-hop, you know? I i think of hip-hop sometimes as like a tree, and Q-tip is a, one of the major branches that a lot of people come out of, or come out of the branches that come out of him. So, yeah, there were moments like that, for sure, and that one stands out.
0: This is LiveWire. You're listening to a conversation that we recorded with rapper and broadcaster Shad, uh, we got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be back with much more with Chad, including a song. So stick with us. This is Livewire. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season, formerly known as Tea Chai Tay. Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest, and they make one-of-a-kind Handcrafted crafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream earl gray use the code livewire all lowercase for 20 percent off at portaltea.co welcome back to livewire from prx i'm luke burbank here with elena passarello we are listening back to a conversation we recorded with the rapper Shad in August of last year. Let's take a listen to that. So you've got this new album, Tao, out. Um, and if I was reading correctly, your previous album, which kind of this one's building off of, uh, you were living in Vancouver, British Columbia, and uh, just kind of looking around and noticing just the, the sort of tremendous inequity in a place like that. So
2: this one, I started writing when I was in Toronto, and it's much of the same situation. (laughs) Um, But this one, I was thinking more about our humanity and the different aspects of our humanity and how each of those different aspects seem to be under threat. You know, for example, work, this even pre-pandemic work was getting more precarious and work was getting more scarce. Our connection to other people, of course, like moving online, social media, like that's becoming more two-dimensional and more fraught. Um, so that's where this album mm. was inspired. But but that's also affected by so many economic pressures, right, that are the same in Toronto as they are in Vancouver. Toronto is a very expensive city, very unequal city.
0: Yeah, but the album definitely seems pretty prescient, talking about the themes that are raised on the album and, you know... and. And that was all before the pandemic. So now, I mean, you listen to it and you think about how the last year and a half has unfolded and it sort of seems like you had a crystal ball or something. I mean, that was just stuff you were kind of thinking about and feeling?
2: Yeah, totally. There's a friend of mine wrote this article early early in the pandemic and he said something like, um, the pandemic hasn't been a new situation as much as it's sort of taken the situation we were already in and like pushed it to its logical conclusions right? We were already isolating ourselves more Mm -hmm. by just kind of being online and ordering Uber Eats and, you know, and now (laughs) that's all we can do. Um,
0: It's like the tide went out and you saw all the barnacles (laughs) that were always living on the, the pier, but we just didn't see them as maybe as clearly, or some of us didn't.
2: Exactly. Or the inequality, right? Like that was always there. And then the pandemic just pushed it to an almost absurd extent, right? So I think that's a little bit of why it feels um, feels kind of prescient. I think this is the direction we were heading. We just hit fast forward.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're going to hear a song off of this uh, latest album, Tau. What song are we going to hear? This song's called Out of Touch. Anything uh, you'd like to uh, say context-wise about this song?
2: Yeah, so Out of Touch is like, and talking about prescient, it's like maybe two on the nose now. <laughs> uh, right. And there is a line, actually, I say, uh, the the people is sick more than just a needle of fix. And this is way before the pandemic. I'm not an anti-vaxxer or anything. <laughs> okay, good. Well, that's, see, that's was, good context. I should, for... I should <laughs> asterisk, preface, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. this But the song's called Out of Touch. To me, it's like the thesis for the album, you know, because the album is about our humanity and these different parts of ourselves we seem to be losing touch with. So I, I, the song touches on a lot of different things and um, tried to make it something people can move to.
0: All right. This is Shad on Livewire.
5: Yeah. Uh. Canada heat, getting hotter than a Panama beach. In a Canada goose, speaking of Canada beasts. Who's speaking Canada's truth? Who standing for peace? Lot from the home of the slaves in the land that was teeth. Lot of broken and lost souls on this planet of freaks. Supply and demand's the only commandment we preach. Each man is a brand, each night famine and feast. So we quote I sell, therefore I am in these streets. The people are sick, and nothing that a needle affix. We need presents, we just get receipts for the gifts Playing God, we just gotta cease and desist When our own souls wish that we would cease to exist We had a touchdown. now Uh-uh, two out a touch now Uh, in the six, like, touchdown I was tripping, I just touched down In touch now Touch now Yeah. How do we reattach the roots? I don't mean no metaphor. I'm talking about these packaged foods, mass produced. Who's the most impacted group? Guess we, the black and blue. Really, it's a question that's connected to the facts and truth. Lands and plants and passion fruits. We got crashing moods, diseases, and other attributes. Lack of direction from having no grasp of past and future attitude is numb. Plus, we love to escape. We love entertainment, especially if it's public disgrace. No love and embraces, nothing is sacred. These public debates. Disgusting of late no trust in the space the drugs in the safe the plugs in the wall and all that to say the main cause of all the suffering and hate we had a touch now oh too out of touch now uh-uh. in the six like touchdown I was tripping I just touched down and touch now we come along, touch now That's the way that it goes. take Take any more. (laughs)
0: It's <laughs> thank you. That is Shad right here yeah. on Livewire, a new track off his new album, Tau. Shad, thank you so much, man. Hey, Thank you. That was great. I appreciate it. All right, before we get out of here, a little preview of next week's episode. We are going to be talking to Dylan Maron. He is the host and the creator of this critically acclaimed podcast it's called Conversations with People Who Hate Me, um, which was sort of a social experiment that he started because people were leaving mean comments about him on the internet, about videos that he had made. And so he started engaging with them and interviewing them to kind of find out what their deal is. That podcast is now a book by the same name. So we're going to talk to Dylan about that. We'll also be chatting with the musician Brittany Davis about how, as a blind person, music became their first language, as well as why they're a more recent fan of Pearl Jam, which is kind of a fun story as well. And we're going to hear a really moving song from Brittany as well. And as always, we're going to be looking to get your answers to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the listeners for next week's show? What's the
3: most unexpected conversation you've ever had? All right.
0: That is uh, inspired by Dylan's... Podcast and book that we're going to hear about next week. So, if you have an answer to that, what's the most unexpected conversation you've ever had? You can submit your answer on Twitter or Facebook. We are at LiveWire Radio. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. A huge thanks to our guests, Cecily Strong and Shad. LiveWire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer.
3: Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. And our marketing manager is Paige Thomas. A. Walker Spring composes our music. And Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. And our new intern is Kataro Shavin. Welcome to the team,
0: Kataro. (laughs) Additional funding provided by the Marie Lamfrom Charitable Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Miles Ellenby of Portland, Oregon, and Phyllis Fletcher of Seattle, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole LiveWire team. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.